the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. It's good to have you back. You've been gone for a bit. I know. I've been gone for a better, like, more than a week at this point. I was on the road on the least coast. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, now it's thrown down. Gone more like, down. More like Pax Least, am I right? <laughs> Come on, defend yourself. You're Canadian. I've never been to PAX East. I can't comment on on the pack, the state of the PAXs. <laughs> I, I was in Boston, and I, I'll say this. I really am a huge fan of Boston. I've never been to Boston. I would love to visit. Um, I've been to Baltimore, and I saw you went to Camden Yards. I did. Uh, I went and saw the baseballs. Um, my beloved Minnesota Twins won 7-0. Wow. I had, I had the local fare, which was French fries with crab, macaroni, and cheese on top, and Old Bay. Which oh my God. was, well, it was a heart attack in a thing. <laughs> it was pretty intense. <laughs> my husband would go nuts for that. Like he's so into seafood and and mm. anything anything on top of French fries. Like as soon as they moved here, like everything was poutine. It's all he wants to eat. It's like I, I apolo- live past sixty, please. I apologize to Marylanders or Orioles fans, I should say, but I think Target Field has the advantage in the food department. But Camden really is gorgeous. Uh, has this wonderful alleyway between kind of a warehouse mm. and the actual field it looks like and it, it, it looks like it's pretty amazing that that's part of the actual ballpark but that aside uh boston is probably the most european american city there is it has this old look to it it's very proud of its history mm-hmm. even it has an old town which is kind of a fixture in a lot of european cities which i i really like that aspect of it yeah, it has a very uh, a huge Irish immigrant population as well. Um, if you, I, have, I have a tip that if you ever want to get uh, U.S. chocolate that doesn't suck terribly, go to Boston. They still get a lot of imports from the U.K. So if you can't make it to Canada, that's your next best bet. Yeah, it reminds me of San Francisco, actually, in a lot of respects. But obviously, it has a totally different vibe. I mm-hmm. went and hung out. On my final day, I went hung out in Cambridge uh, near Harvard. And it was basically like going to Berkeley uh, small town college campus kind of vibe uh, but i really enjoyed myself so yay boston the only thing i didn't like about boston was that it was cold and i hate the cold now <laughs> but you live in san francisco it's it's pretty cold there that's not that cold it's like 65 degrees that's not too bad uh versus yeah. it was somewhere in the mid 30s it even snowed in boston and oh cold. yeah yeah we're in a cold yeah. snap like this part of the world unfortunately yeah, exactly. Over in Minnesota, they also have like a 30 degree. It's like 30 degrees. They actually had to call a baseball game on account of cold. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of sad. It's starting to warm up. But uh, yeah, it's it's been kind of a cold April. Bitter, evil, cruel April. In any case, I'm told that we're talk- we talk about RPGs on this podcast. Uh, uh, and sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes we talk about something other than baseball and crab macaroni and cheese on french fries. But I did get to see some RPGs. Well, more specifically, I got to talk to people about RPGs. I talked about mm-hmm. Dragon Quest Eleven. I talked about World of Warcraft. I checked out Underworld Ascendant, which is the new uh, game by the people who created Ultima Underworld. And mm-hmm. also, what was it called? Oh, yes. It's by Warren Spector. So, oh, really? Yes, I got to try it. I, tro- I dropped boxes on skeletons' heads, which was the thing, <laughs> I guess. So, I'll talk about all of that, and then we'll... 
respond to we got a lot of comments from our podcast last week people had lots of thoughts on both the alliance alive and the 3ds so we will be getting to that okay all right so let's talk a little bit about pax east um so as i mentioned i got to interview the producer of dragon quest 11 that ended up being like a 90 minute interview wow you're lucky i didn't get nearly as much time with yuji hori and that was like six of us in the same room yeah, we touched on a lot of different topics. Uh, one of them was the PC version. Mm. Uh, I was kind of interested in just how they were improving on the graphical standpoint. One piece of news that I do want to share, and it should be on the site by the time this podcast goes up, is apparently they work in the same office as the Nier Automata people. Oh, oh, they must have some really interesting competitions going on. Well, we love I think- life. We hate life. I think from a standpoint of porting the game from the PC to the PC, they said that they were aware of some of Nier Automata's issues, like with mm. updates and everything, and that they uh, they were in very uh, they were in a lot of communication because the Nier Automata. Uh, one thing that didn't get covered very well, I don't think, is that Nier Automata on PC has some problems, and ultimately. Uh, was not getting updates in kind of a timely fashion and right. people were getting pretty frustrated with it. So I was kind of like, yeah, like what do you, what steps are you taking to avoid that with DQ11? They're like, well, we talked to the Nier Automata people and we've learned a lot from them. And more to the point, they said one of the reasons that Nier Autom- Automata had trouble on the PC was that it had a much shorter turnaround. And I, I think the PC version was right. developed more or less in conjunction with the game. Whereas Dragon Quest Eleven is already done. It's done right. and dusted, and so they can. So it's not nearly as short of a time schedule as it is was as it was with the PC version. So I think we can expect something perhaps a bit more polished and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, do you remember off the top of your head if Near Automata did okay on PC? Like, were the sales all right? I have no idea how the sales I'm just, were. <laughs> I'm thinking if it did okay on PC, then there's a decent chance uh dragon quest 11 will probably get some uh, attention on on steam but i think it'll get i think it'll get some attention regardless um Mm -hmm. but of course i mean it is dragon quest 11 which somebody likened to war and peace of jrpgs recently (laughs) (laughs) it depends on the game uh if you're talking about seven yes absolutely uh the other ones are a nice modest 60 hours that's that's not so bad we talked um we talked at some length about Dragon Quest Eleven's kind of the way it looks backward and something I didn't really realize, but it's a tribute to all of Dragon Quest, they said. Uh, yeah. basically it has references to pretty much every Dragon Quest in it. Yeah, I, I actually think I mentioned that in one of my pieces, because uh, they mm-hmm. brought that up at the uh the interview I was at, saying that um and that's actually a couple <laughs> I was a bit. I, I kind of outed myself as a bit of a nerd because I caught a couple of those references just in the uh, the like little sliver of game they showed us. So mm-hmm. I, I think actually it was the same producer who you talked to was was pretty happy that I found those. Yeah, they said that over in Japan, magazines were doing a list of every single reference nice. in a dragon in Dragon Quest Eleven, <laughs> and I asked them what the references were in Dragon Quest V and they said, well, you know, you know how in Dragon Quest V there are these kind of flashbacks to their childhood and everything? Yeah. Like, that was... We do something somewhat similar in Dragon Quest XI and there's a little bit of a time skip in the early part of the game, so mm-hmm. we intended that as kind of a, a nod toward Dragon Quest V, so... 
yeah, uh, the one I pointed out that I caught was, uh, I don't know if you learned about shy pox while uh, you were talking to the producer. Probably not, but it's a, uh, it's a status ailment in the game that makes your uh, character behave out of turn. Like, instead of healing or whatever they're supposed to do, they might go completely nuts or, or just like get really shy and not be able to do anything. And I pointed out that's actually a tribute to Dragon Quest Three has the, the Joker class, a.k.a. the Goof-Off class, that will do exactly that instead of fighting they'll literally goof off. Uh, they <laughs> might attack, but they might do something completely different or run away. And that's pretty much what the, what the Shypox uh, status ailment is. One, I, I was kind of curious why they decided to sort of look backward with this mm-hmm. game uh, across the entirety of Dragon Quest. And they, uh, it really is, they see it as sort of an audience building exercise. They want mm-hmm. to convey the like full history of this series to maybe the kids in Japan who don't really appreciate or who weren't around for Dragon Quest 3, right. as it were. And right. they see it as kind of a family bonding activity. Ah, that's sweet. Yeah, where perhaps the kids would be playing with the parents and the parents would be able to go, oh, yeah, do you see that scene? That's totally a thing from Dragon Quest 3. <laughs> that's nice. I like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it strikes me a little bit that... I mean, Dragon Quest, while it's this big stately RPG, it's facing the problem that every single game ultimately kind of faces, which is it needs to build its audience somehow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, and nostalgia only takes you so far at the end of the day because eventually your your original audience will start to age out. Yeah. And yeah. you get a new audience that doesn't necessarily have the same amount of nostalgia. Yeah, exactly. Um, see, just speaking for myself, I feel like Dragon Quest games generally stand on their own. They're really good, solid RPGs, but I still know a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't want anything to do with turn-based uh, RPGs, even though Dragon Quest does them like better than anyone else. It doesn't matter. They just want nothing to do with that sort of menu-based uh, gameplay. Yeah, so I mean, and that's fair, and I think that's why, for example, Final Fantasy fifteen or Final mm-hmm. Fantasy in general has gone for a more action-heavy uh, approach. I personally I have very little time for action RPGs. I, I'm not a big fan of them. Mm-hmm. There's there's some, there are obviously some uh, exceptions. Dark Souls is awesome, of course. Dungeon Monster Crawl- Hunter. Monster Hunter. If you if you want to call that a straight up RPG, I suppose it's like a co op action game with yeah. a heavy grinding and act in RPG elements. I suppose. I'm not a big fan of Kingdom Hearts. Uh, Nino Kuni, we, we've talked at some length about the battle system and how that ultimately goes. I like the strategy of yeah. picking my battles. And I, I kind of like what they're doing with Dragon Quest battle system this time around. I like the idea of combos yeah, and uh, building those up. Those look pretty cool. Yeah, did they talk to you a little bit more about that? Because I learned, uh, I think it's called the PEP system. They mm-hmm. covered it a little bit when I was there, but... Uh... Uh, they didn't go too full into detail, but they did say that, uh, yes, you can use it to create combos and enemies can use it against you, which is a really interesting little twist that can probably make for some really interesting strategies down the road. Uh, we didn't talk about we didn't talk about the battle system too much. We ended mm-hmm. up talking a lot about uh, hard mode, mm-hmm. uh, which are based on the, the draconian quests. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that name. And what, they, what they've done with that. We talked uh, about the first person camera and why they decided to put it in there. Yeah, and it was one thing that I found pretty interesting was the reason it wasn't in the Japanese version was that there was a ratings <laughs> board issue. Yeah, yeah, we heard about that too. And of course, 
they were kind of like dancing around the subject like oh we're, we put we have a first person camera that's in there but it's not in the japanese version well why not well because their age rating boards wouldn't wouldn't allow it if we mm-hmm. wanted to make the game for everyone well why not and i can't remember who was who it was one of the producers kind of you know mimics like you know heaving chest you know? <laughs> huge bosoms aha uh-huh. <laughs> there like, you go oh. Okay, yeah, so yeah, you can do that if you're into that. When I asked the producer what was going on with that, he was like, well, I could tell you, but I, uh, they might assassinate me. <laughs> it's because of the titties, kids. It's always because of the titties. Uh, okay, that totally makes a lot more sense, and that's annoying, actually, but <laughs> I, I was kind of likening it to Pokemon Snap, actually, because what they're kind of hoping for is that you can go into a first-person camera and just be able to look around and enjoy the nature, I suppose, and enjoy the living world that you're looking at? Oh, yeah, they, they still, of course, that's what they want you to do, first and foremost. It's a matter of, I mean, they told us straight out they wanted the camera there from the start because they're very proud of their models and the world that they made. But mm-hmm. the ratings board said, well, no, because people are going to use this camera to take close-ups of women's, women's breasts. And if you want an all-ages rating on that, we're, we're not going to allow that. So they had to take it out for the Japanese version of the game. Yeah. I, I found it interesting that I was talking to... I ended up inter- doing interviews for both Dragon Quest Eleven and World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. And with World of Warcraft, um, it strikes me that these games are both in kind of similar positions in some respects, in the sense yeah. that there are these two venerable series that are looking backward rather than forward in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting comparison, but uh, I think you're correct. You would know more about the Warcraft looking backward mm-hmm. aspect than I would, obviously, but... I think that World of Warcraft has hit a dead end. Well, it's been around for God knows how long. Yeah, well, I think they they just... So, the thing with World of Warcraft... So, uh, the new expansion's called Battle for Azeroth. And it's meant to basically refresh the... Kind of the Horde versus Alliance thing. Right. It refreshes the PvP. It, uh, it does, you know, a whole bunch... Of, it has new continents for you to explore... But yeah, one of the main thrusts is that it's kind of a deliberate callback to Warcraft 2 in a lot of respects. Right, that's right. In the sense of like, you'll be able to find uh, the new allies. And the new allies, I think, are like elves and and trolls who were like the main allies in Warcraft 2. Right. And there's a thing that... <laughs> there's a thing where one of the war zones, I think, is you're actually working among a village and the little peons are going back and forth collecting gold and everything. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, at last I can fulfill my dream of being a peon in Warcraft. And they were like, gonna say. and they were like, no, no, you can't do that. And I'm like, damn it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've always wanted to just be a peon. What do you want? Or a villager? Yeah. <laughs> One of the yeah. two. Live that villager life. Just, all I got to worry about is collecting gold. Yeah. It's total BS. MMORPGs should let me play any role that I want. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. We haven't gotten we haven't quite gotten there yet, have we? It's just like, oh, hey, you can, I don't, uh, you can be you can be a hero. I don't want to be a hero. I want to I want to be a schmuck. No, you can't be a schmuck. I know a fr- I have a friend who was a schmuck in Eve Online. <laughs> yeah, wow, that he, game really is next level. He was he just ran a mining station on the absolute edges of one of the largest alliances in the game. Wow. Like, that-, that was all he did. He just ran a mining station and his only goal was to save up enough money to get a ship but i was 
this guy, I swear, in in real life, he's a bit of a loser as well. Uh, apologies. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a harsh way to say it. But I was like, oh, my God, you're even a loser in this video game? Jeez. <laughs> That's so mean. incredible. Yeah, no. Uh, it's a little harsh, but he really is a loser. But <laughs> Maybe he's uh, just someone with low expectations for himself and his life, and he's pretty happy with that. Also in Star Wars Galaxies, you could be a merchant. You know, you could, you could uh, okay. basically while your life away running a shop or dancing. There are people who are literally prostitutes in some of these games. They just role play sure. as prostitutes. I, I think that one of the first things that happened in Ultimate, Ultima Online was... Somebody codified uh, just sex chats in, <laughs> and created a brothel. Of course. So, like, there, in many respects, a lot of these MMORPGs have had living worlds, and there are people who have basically been peasants. Uh, yeah. But I, I was thinking more like the person who just walked back and forth chopping trees all day. That, that, that would be a great <laughs> exercise for people with, like, a serious uh, kind of OCD thing. It's like, I must chop the trees. The trees, they could, it must uh, be chopped. They can logically make a clicker game out of that, like clicker mini game within the game. Mm-hmm. That would be, I could see that actually becoming pretty popular. But World of Warcraft has been around for 14 years now. Oh, and geez. it, when it first came around in 2004, essentially it was kind of picking up from a cliffhanger because you had some characters who ran off to a different plane of existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Lich King was around, and right. he had just sat down on his frozen throne. Uh, Azeroth was rebuilding. Uh, yeah, as the humans had won, but half of Azeroth had gone, had been converted to like undead holdings. Sylvanas was still running around somewhere. You had so many threads to pick up with World of Warcraft, and they right. did that over the years they they addressed what was happening with illidan and the burning uh in burning crusade they they had you fight and finally defeat the lich king they brought deathwing in they just on and on and on right right like finding new villains to fight addressing all of the old plot threads uh from warcraft 3 one at a time and until it finally got to like warlords of draenor which is an expansion that came out two expansions i guess mm-hmm. and warlords of draenor was literally like I, I think it was a time traveling story where you basically went back in time to kind of see the orcs as they were and it was clearly a bid for nostalgia of the original warcraft right yeah and then the one after that was legion which was a a clear callback to burning crusade mm-hmm. it was basically a sequel to burning crusade Right, where you were hitting a lot of the same topics that you did there, and it was clearly playing a nostalgia for Burning Crusade. And now we've hit the point with Battle for Azeroth, which is clearly a play on nostalgia for Warcraft 2. Right. And you go, how often, how, how much time can you spend looking backward? <laughs> At what point are you going to eventually actually expand the story or extend it in some way? Yeah, I was going to say, um, was Deathwing a part of the like original Warcraft mythology? Yeah, yeah, no, Deathwing was... I remember reading about Deathwing in the manual for Warcraft 2. That's so like, sweet. Yeah, I, I used to love those manuals. They were so great. They were basically like reading RPG source books. Because <laughs> I thought maybe they invented her. I think it's a her, isn't she? Uh, Deathwing? No, Deathwing yeah. is definitely a dude. Okay, I remember inventing... Uh, the, I thought maybe they invented Deathwing to like, you know, cataclysm the whole place and so they could start over again. And like, But no, if uh, he was part of the actual Warcraft mythology, well... They'd have to come up with someone completely new, I guess. They wanted to, like, start all over again. 
No, I'm, I just remember reading about in Warcraft 2, they had the different dragon flights. One of them was like Alexstrasza, and Alexstrasza had been taken prisoner mm-hmm. by one of the one of by the horde and then like deathwing was around deathwing was the ultimate destroyer and blah 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 and mm-hmm. so yeah they ultimately had deathwing come and do cataclysm it was actually pretty a pretty clever way to reset a lot of the original instances in warcraft 2 but i don't know at, at this point warcraft 2 is so dense and self-referential that i i don't even know what they're trying to do with it at this point i just I don't understand how this can be the third expansion in a row that is basically a callback in some way. Did you uh, talk to them about that specifically uh, yeah. at PAX? Oh, yeah. What did they tell I, you? I asked. I was like, well, I mean, has it hit a dead end? What, what the heck is going on? Are you ever going to advance the story? And they were like, we think there are many stories to tell within the world of Warcraft. <laughs> and, you know, we're checking back on these people and people want to know what's going on over here, et cetera. I'm like, but yeah, but what about new stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess there's new stuff that is being put in Legion, like they're advancing the story, as it were, but I just, I really feel like they hit a dead end, because Warcraft 3 dramatically expanded the story right? in like so many different respects, right? Warcraft 3, so Warcraft 2 was just, oh, it's the Horde versus the Alliance, and the Alliance beats the Horde. Right. And then they destroy the Horde homeworld as well, the end. Right. And then Warcraft 3 was like, we're going to introduce the Night Elves, and we're going to introduce the Blood Elves, and we're going to introduce the Undead, and we're going to introduce all of this different stuff, and the Lich King, and we're going to mm-hmm. totally turn everything upside down. And it just so dramatically expanded the world, as right. it were. Right. And world, it, it created the sandbox that World of Warcraft picked up and people could play in for the next 14 freaking years <laughs> yeah so um but i'm sure their subscriber numbers are still perfectly fine so i don't know i guess people are okay with going back to the past again and again uh, yeah i mean but a lot of it isn't that they are necessarily excited about the new content right they're just playing through it they're going well this is an interesting new raid or i'm hanging out with my guild or i'm building up on this one character or i'm really interested in the I'm really interested in the mechanics. I feel like the actual lore and the story has kind of gotten lost or at least mm-hmm. building out on the universe. I mean, yeah, like we got a lot of stuff that went into Hearthstone ultimately. We right. got, I think his name is Harrison Jones, an intrepid explorer. It's basically Indiana Jones. Uh-huh. <laughs> Seriously, like it's just Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones. And Yeah, they tried to like, that name. Yeah, like World of Warcraft. Uh, we can also put in a 1930s uh, exploration adventure film into World of Warcraft for no apparent reason. <laughs> sure. Which is like a beloved thing, by the way. People love that quest. And I, <laughs> that for me was seriously when Warcraft completely went off the rails. And I was just like, what? <laughs> what is this? I, I'm not saying Warcraft was freaking classical literature or token or whatever. I'm just saying that by Warcraft 3, it was a fairly cool and coherent and interesting Mm-hmm. universe and it completely fractured and went off the rails with world of warcraft and they just don't seem to have any interest whatsoever in kind of doing anything else in it they're just it's been around for so long now that it's become purely self self-referential i mean even the it has its own nostalgia yeah of course it would like after 14 years it, there's no there's no way it doesn't people are really nostalgic for how it was in 2004 
Yeah, there's vanilla servers, aren't there? Yeah, the people just want to have a throwback to honestly probably a much worse experience. <laughs> that is, I, I hate to say, but that is exactly it. Like I've talked before about how I used to play Ragnarok online, and they have a classic server as well as like the more advanced servers. And I once went back to the classic servers because yeah, I was kind of nostalgic for two thousand three, and I'm like, oh my god, this is terrible. Goodbye. Yeah, no, I mean, well, people are like, well, you know, in War- World of Warcraft vanilla. The, the raids were so hard and you had to manage these massive raids with all of these people. And oh, by the way, like walking across the, the world and not having all of these conveniences, that was awesome. And it, and it's no, it so uphill both ways both in my day. <laughs> yeah. People but, uh, going, before you kids had smartphones and all of these other conveniences, life was great. Not remembering, like, what an actual pain in the ass it was in some respects. Yeah, when I look back at, of course, the infamous Leroy Jenkins uh, video, the thing that strikes me about it, besides the the tag quote, is uh, the fact that they're standing there for ages beforehand, planning out this raid number by number. Of course, that Leroy Jenkins completely screws up. That's a whole joke. But the fact that they have to stand there and talk about this at length, about this, this raid, it's, like, so fascinating and so exactly what I don't want to do with my Saturday night. Well, there are a lot of people who not only do want to do that with their Saturday Night Light, like that was a massive social thing, right? These huge guilds where people found kind of their identity, I suppose, or found lifelong friends. I know guilds that are still getting together to this day, which is, I mean, like BlitzCon is a great example, is a great time for guilds to, I guess, reunite or whatever. There, I know plenty mm-hmm. of people who have literally been playing with the same guild for like 10 years at this point. And yeah. that's wild to me, to that's be perfectly cool. honest. I have to, yeah, I have to be honest. Like, I don't really have a guild, obviously, but I, I get together with friends that I've known on the internet since 1995. And we get mm. together like every year at Oticon and we have a lot of fun and we're all old and got like responsibilities and jobs. But we always just take that time to kind of go back to the past. Yeah, I, I think that what I found the difference between Final Fantasy fourteen and World of Warcraft pretty interesting because I went to a Final Fantasy fourteen panel and mm-hmm. I was doing some research on FF fourteen beforehand and one of the things that stri- stands out just continually is how much more story focused Final Fantasy fourteen yes, really is. Definitely, definitely, they they really put a lot into their stories and most of them are really good. Like I don't, I, I keep saying I'm going to play Final Fantasy fourteen, goddammit, but. Even just reading up on the summaries and everything like that is just fascinating how much work they put into them. And they're good stories. Mm-hmm. Well, at some point, the story stopped mattering in World of Warcraft. <laughs> yes. I'm not joking. Like, no, World of right. Warcraft is all about repeatable content. Right. It's all right. about getting loot and trying to roll up uh, and getting that just that slightly better, uh, slightly better stat increase that gives you the ultimate armor and you're doing the same things the same content over and over and over and over again that actually reminds oh sorry i was going to say that reminds me of something mike said very recently to us is that he was playing warcraft while kind of as a background thing while working or whatever and saying how well we were said we said to him why aren't you playing final fantasy 14 which he loves and he's like well you have to think about final fantasy 14 you don't have to think about warcraft and that's part of the problem with Final Fantasy XIV is, in yeah. many respects, when you get through all of the content, you're kind of done. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually just, last month, and we didn't cover it, but 
Last month, there was a fairly substantial content drop for Final Fantasy XIV called the Eureka DLC. Right. And it tried to institute some of that, what you might call repeatable content, where you're grinding. But a lot of people weren't super fond of it because it was kind of heavy-handed in the way Mm -hmm. that it was just grind, 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 grind. (laughs) Yeah. It felt almost old school in that respect. So, yeah, World of Warcraft, it's almost like Diablo 3 at this point. I don't know. Yeah, I was about to to make that comparison, like Diablo 3. It's a loot hunting game. Sure, why not? So yeah, I mean, when it comes to putting out the content, the perhaps growing the universe doesn't matter anymore. It's just putting out mm-hmm. more repeatable stuff for people to do. And if people want so. story, they can play the 500 freaking hours of game that has come before. <laughs> wow. God, that game is ridiculous. That's why I'm never going to be like able to truly play all the way through World of Warcraft. There's just too much at this point. You can yeah. go, I think the newest one raises the level cap to 110. Wow, jeez. Do you, like, how much World of Warcraft Online do you play? Like, I don't play World of Warcraft, come on. I didn't think so. Like, uh, I don't really hear you talk about it very much. No, I, I don't. I know you love the original Warcraft. I have a life, Nadia. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have I, to keep all of us under control, so that takes up a lot of time. So... Uh, that said, I know a lot of people who do play Warcraft, and as I said, I was a fan of the real-time strategy games, and right. I play a lot of Hearthstone, and yeah, you when you are a fan of Hearthstone and you've played a lot of Warcraft, you just almost necessarily know a lot about World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. and plus I've been in the games industry for 10 years at this point, and I've seen a lot of Warcraft, World of Warcraft expansions come and go. Yeah, so have I. I have seen many. Uh, Mike is a World of Warcraft expert in this uh, in this joint, and yeah, he he's... he fed me a lot of the questions that I was asking to the developers. <laughs> uh, but I was also kind of just like, you know, I am a Warcraft fan going way back, you know, and I, I'm aware of like the expansions that have been that have been coming out, and it sure does seem like you've hit a cul-de-sac. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's a good term for it, a cul-de-sac. I don't think that's happened with Dragon Quest. Uh, no. Um, Dragon Quest games are very... They have references to each other, but they don't feel like each other. Not only that, I think that Dragon Quest is the kind of series that is content to use its kind of world to tell different and interesting stories, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say every Dragon Quest has its a totally different and interesting personality to it. Yeah, the mechanics are pretty traditional and it's very content to be like, no, we are a traditional JRPG, but the stories it tells are almost always invariably extremely good. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't know that just from looking at them like on the surface, like, oh, hero versus bad guy, whatever. But um, we were just talking recently on Twitter about like Dragon Quest V story and how much that's like just heart rip- heart ripping right there. And, <sighs> God, yeah. Uh, Dragon Quest Eight too as well. Dragon Quest they had a great story. Yeah, uh, se- Sevens was pretty good too, but I, I w- that one didn't make as much of an impression on me. Uh, if you ever want to give Bob PTSD, this Bob Mackey, who's been a guest on this podcast, used to work for US Gamer, you should go check out his podcast. I've been on it sometimes. Uh, he, if you want to give him PTSD, just bring up Dragon Quest Seven in his pro and his in his presence, and he'll blue screen of death instantly. Because <laughs> right, he played he all the way through it, he put like more than a hundred hours into that game. He was like, "Oh my god, there's too much, too much." And that was I don't even think they introduced the classes until like 20, 30 hours in. Yeah, uh, if I recall correctly, like even in the 3DS version of the game, which is a little bit more streamlined, you're looking at 20, 30 hours. Yeah, exactly. So uh, 
yeah, no, in any case, uh, when it comes to Dragon Quest, I- interestingly, it's been kind of fairly forward-thinking in recent years. Uh, it, I mean, Just look at Dragon Quest Nine, for example. I, I mm-hmm. think Dragon Quest Nine is one of the more interesting and innovative JRPGs that I've played. I, I'm a big fan of Dragon Quest Nine. I know that not yeah. everybody is, mostly like because it scales back the story a lot. Yeah, and it features character uh, it lets you build your own character as opposed to having more of the traditional hero and building your own party rather than having your kind of traditional characters mm-hmm. and so much of it is built around the social aspect of playing with other people i always loved doing the the ds variant of the street pass and going yes. into the tavern and seeing all the different people in their cool armor that was a lot of fun that actually i actually told them when i went to square next i told them about how uh, the year that Dragon Quest IX came out, I took my DS to Otakon, and I filled up my inn, and we had a great time. And I actually met a lot of friends there that I still talk to on Twitter. And one of the funniest things that ever happened to me was I was literally just standing on a street corner in northern Toronto, uh, where I usually don't get many street passes. And somebody drove by, and I got a, a, got a someone from my inn, from that person who drove by. <laughs> and I'm, I'm still like, how the hell did that even happen? That was great. Yeah. No, that's pretty amazing, actually. I, I went to they they had a cafe for Dragon Quest where you could get a special map. That was kind of cool. You had to oh, set an appointment, nice. though. You had to go in as part of a group, have some bad Dragon Quest themed food. But the <laughs> the main thing for listen to some Dragon Quest themed music, look at I some of there. the look at some of the merch, and then download a map. <laughs> the slime uh, bean buns are really good, though. But I think the coolest thing about Dragon Quest Nine was that two of my friends like played through the entire game in co-op oh that's pretty awesome just kind of got together and and yeah uh, did that yeah that's fine that's nice the fact that they turned a menu-based rpg into a co-op experience i I think it's cool and i'm sad that there weren't there aren't more rpgs like that and i actually am kind of hoping that maybe we can have something maybe some rpg developer can experiment with that a bit on the switch yeah i'd be okay with that that'd be a lot of fun I didn't play too much multiplayer when I uh, played Dragon Quest Nine, but uh, I know a lot of people who did, and they, they enjoyed it. And uh, Dragon Quest Ten, of course, is... That was an MMORPG. Yeah. Still is. Still out there. But with Dragon Quest Eleven, I'm... I'm it's not desperation, per se, but perhaps they see the writing on the wall a little bit. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In the sense of... Uh, how long can you remain an institution? How right. long can you keep your audience... How long can't, at what point will your audience age out? Right. And I think that, especially with how much it costs to make these games, mm-hmm. they're thinking about the future a little bit and they're thinking about how to get new blood in without sacrificing, without, frankly, pissing off the people who were there before. <laughs> they tried to do that with Dragon Quest Nine. You remember yeah. all the kerfuffle when they announced it was going to be an action RPG, I think, and yeah, how people, people really in Japan had... lost their mind. Yeah, they pretty much rioted. Uh, that was that. Yeah, I think they changed their mind, didn't they? They uh, said, "Okay, okay, menu based, menu based." Oh yeah, oh yeah. They ran. They scaled that back in a hurry. Yeah. And uh, I and fair fair enough, right? I mean, they were missing messing with a kind of a, an institution. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. But I think that's why, in some respects, they're making a. A bigger push than before in America. Yes, yeah. they're yeah. hoping that they can finally grow their audience a little bit, 
here and strike gold in a way that the series just hasn't managed to do until this point. Yeah, and uh, I don't think Dragon Quest is ever going to flop, but I think you're right. I think they're thinking of, like, sustainable future, mm. and uh, better to think now than later. Like, uh, this is their first time using, like, the Unreal Engine, and I don't know if they got to tell you anything about the, the Dragon Quest three mock-up they made in Unreal to see if the, the concept would work for, for Dragon Quest Eleven. Uh, but, yeah, that's apparently what they did, was they made, like, a little piece yeah. of Dragon Quest three. I would love to see that. Yeah, I would love to see that, too, but they're not sharing it. Damn it! Ah, we- that's pretty cool though yeah i i just wonder if they're like quietly thinking how long will this continue to resonate with people especially Mm -hmm. with the way that rpgs have changed uh the one of the most successful rpgs in japan right now is persona right i mean that feels like a a thoroughly modern rpg where as dragon quest feels like you know studio ghibli i suppose uh very content to go in its own way and I, i think that works to be honest i'm not I'm not slagging on it. I think they're just, what? what's next? Yeah, right? although to be honest, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing more of what Dragon Quest V had where you could like, mm. find, like you know, choose a wife or and, like, you know, have a family. Uh, that kind of gave the game a lot of personality because of course, Persona games, you have people talking about their waifus and it's like, yeah. uh, they do that with Dragon Quest V as well and they when I say, oh, I always marry Bianca, they like, they lose their minds. What? <laughs> how do you lose your mind over marrying bianca she was exactly, she's right? the right choice she is the only choice i, I know some people really like deborah from hand of the heavenly bride but uh, I have to try her. she scares <laughs> she's, me she's just a jerk <laughs> she totally is do do you want to marry somebody who's just gonna like harass you for the rest of your life marry uh, deborah some people really really like that and it was like well i'm not here to kink shame so uh you that's, go that's what fun. i was that's what i was gonna say so <laughs> All right, before we wrap up, I want to talk very briefly about Underworld Ascendant, which I got to play during PAX East. So Underworld Ascendant, as I said, a kind of spiritual successor to Ultima Underworld. Uh, War Inspector is working on a whole bunch of different... They have kind of an all-star cast of people working on it. They have... I mean, they have a lot of names. Let's just say that. I, Mm -hmm. I can't remember them off the top of my head. They've got people from Fulbright... Uh, they got the person who did the music, I think, from Bioshock Infinite. <laughs> the oh, okay. kind of the covers, uh, one of those creep, those oh, old timey covers. Oh, those are great! Like the uh, the everybody wants to rule the world. Like everybody wants to rule the world. Like vaudeville sort of. Yes, that was great. That was hilarious. So they got all of this for our Underworld Ascendant, and they showed us the very very early pre-alpha build of Underworld Ascendant, and. Mm-hmm. It definitely seems very, very early. <laughs> you look at it and it's like, yep, that's early, all right. So it's a lot of environmental puzzle solving. Mm. Okay, Fine. so this is where I'm going to admit a gap in my knowledge, and I'll definitely do some more research. My apologies, but I didn't play the ult- original Ultima Underworld. Uh, but this one is like a... They go out of their way not to give you a sword to start. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, so it's almost like a kind of a physics sandbox. So you're in a you're in a deep dark dungeon, right? And right. your goal is to figure out how to progress. And so you'll do things like you'll see some wood, the wood the you'll see some barrels, the barrels have weight. You can set the barrel on fire, you can put it next to a door, the door will burn, you can keep going. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Um or you'll run into a, an enemy and they'll be standing around, and if you drop a barrel on their head, it will hurt them. <laughs> Take that. Yeah. Um, 
So it was a lot of that for the most part. Uh, eventually, I did start to get stuff. I got a broken sword. I was trying to use the broken sword. The broken sword was not very working very well, Nadia. Well, it is broken. It quite is broken. Yes, I ultimately went to my fists, and I just <laughs> ran up and punched the skeletons, and the p- skeletons went down. Well, they're pretty brittle. Yeah. I. It felt like a really really early version it was not very polished mm-hmm. the actual the, the physics engine did not feel particularly polished or refined or tight right um it felt weird to carry the barrels around and that kind of thing right and there's not really a lot of combat per se like i said i was solving kind of environmental puzzles so mm-hmm. i guess it's interesting as a kind of a different take on the classical underworld, I suppose the classical dungeon crawler, but yeah. I don't think it really resonated with me too much. Did you uh, get to what did Warren? Did Warren Spector talk about the game? Was he there? Warren Spector was not there. Oh, oh, he's an interesting dude. I met him once. He seems like a nice guy. He seems like really. He, he seems like he's really into just games. He's he's your classical example of the gamer who's stuck around the industry simply for the love of the game in a lot of respects. Yeah, he's. Uh, I went to uh, Florida, actually, Disney World, to preview um, Epic Mickey 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember who made that game, but they put up a video uh, of him talking in Disneyland, and there's a bunch of us surrounding him, and you can see me quite clearly, and I'm falling asleep because it's like the middle of September, and the humidity is so bad, and I'm a Canadian who can't stand it. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, it was... Uh, it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting trip, and he has a lot of really interesting insights into the uh, the gaming uh, industry. Guy's been around a long time, mm-hmm. but I so I, I think it gets to the core of what should a what should a dungeon crawler be? I suppose, right? In the sense of, do we want it to be more combat focused? Do we want it to be more story focused? And it seems to me that it's trying to take a somewhat different approach to the classical dungeon crawler where you're solving problems yeah, yeah. while not necessarily doing combat. And that's, I would say, pretty faithful to the ultimate concept in general, like the ruins of virtue, right? Mm-hmm. So much about Ultima is being a well-rounded person, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, so what were we going to say, Nadia? I was going to say, I could see that sort of challenge being a huge, uh, like, a big draw for some people. That idea of, you're in a dark room, what's next? Uh, okay, I, I kill whatever's next to me. No, you don't. You don't have a sword. So, you start from, like, really from the beginning. Yeah, I think RPG developers, to some extent, struggle against the classical D&D notion of, you're a dude with a sword in some armor, and here comes a dragon, and you're slashing away at it, and... Their points and is that all yeah they're yeah. telling a story but can we do more with the role-playing genre can we mm-hmm. do something that's not so combat or loot focused mm-hmm. must we become a repetitive loot uh loot grinder kind of game where we're going around in a cul-de-sac as it were with like world of warcraft <laughs> and we saw that question kind of being answered last year with torment tides of numenera right right which was a game that was very deliberately not about combat. And in fact, combat was fairly cumbersome, I would say, and was much more about solving problems with your converse- your words mm-hmm. in yeah. your conversations. Uh, 
And Ultima Underworld seems to want, not Ultima Underworld, Underworld Descendant seems to be the same way. Uh, the version that I saw was extremely early. Uh, it's hard to draw a lot of conclusions from it. I'm not going to like slag it. I'm going right. to say that it didn't particularly resonate me from the start with me from the start because it's so early. But uh, I, I guess we'll see. It's it's definitely trying to, I suppose, do different things with the RPG genre. Yeah, and there's plenty of time for it to find its way. All right, Nadia, last week we were talking about why wasn't Dragon Quest XI on the 3DS? Did Square Enix make a mistake? And as usual, you had your comments. CLD M. I can't pronounce your name. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> there are too many consonants going on here. I totally get why they aren't bringing the D3DS version over. It just costs a lot more money. And like you said in another article, they are yet again trying to get DQ to catch on fire over here. So going with the best looking one makes sense. Do mm -hmm. I wish they had both versions? Absolutely. But I am still excited that it is still coming over at all. Speaking of the 3DS version, by the way, Nadia, do you know that they're going to announce a new Etrian and Odyssey for the 3DS tomorrow? Yes. I, I was like, oh gosh, we forgot to talk about that, didn't we? But uh, yeah, last one on 3DS, obviously. That's insane, though. I mean... I'm still not finished 5. Yeah, I, I'm just... I can't believe that they're still making games for the 3DS. I, I, I guess it has a large install base... They mm -hmm. know that they're going to have an audience. They're going to milk that audience as much as humanly possible. And I think they are trying to bridge the gap with the Switch version because I think it's yes. going to take some time, if they ever make a Switch version, to yeah. actually do it. But Yeah, and they said you're going to get so sick of mapping. And uh, when I read that, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there's no way Jeremy Parrish is going to get ever get sick of mapping. No, that's Jeremy Parrish's jam, if you want to talk it's about totally OCD. totally jam. Uh, the wild card says, no 3DS version doesn't surprise me. If you want to make inroads and expanding Western market and make it a big deal, handheld isn't going to do it, especially not an old one. Honestly, for as successful a platform as a 3DS, Square 3DS is, Square hasn't pushed titles on it that much. They let the Bravely Default team do their thing, and there are a couple of Dragon Quest remakes ports, but not a whole lot besides that. It seems that they place more bets on mobile and AAA titles. By the way, Nadia, I saw a thing on Reset Era, and... <laughs> It made me think. Somebody said that they think the GBA has the best library out of any of the Nintendo handhelds. Um, that's a debate for another day, I think, because <laughs> I don't necessarily agree. <laughs> they said that the 3DS is the weakest library, and I think I kind of disagree with that, actually. Yeah, I think I definitely disagree with that point. Uh, if nothing else, uh, the GBA had some really interesting things going on where, you brought, where it brought over some SNES classic RPGs that you might have missed the first time around. But that sound trip, oi. Uh, one Verft Gurks says, I am surprised Nintendo didn't grab DQ11 for 3DS like they did with 6. It would have made a, final, a fitting final big game for the format. The game looks distinctive enough that I doubt it would affect PS4 sales too much. Not sure how similar the scripts are, but with there being a save transfer code option, I would imagine that it could be similar enough to be a straightforward to localize the differences. I don't know how well recent 3DS games have sold, but I am disappointed that we aren't getting the 3DS one. I don't really like the look of the PS4 one. The Switch will likely be a PS4 port too. The 3DS one would have been a pre-order. The 3D PS4 version definitely isn't, though I will wait for feedback to give it a chance. I never want to say that localization is going to be straightforward because there is a no. large technical component to it. And I would imagine that it would cost a fair amount of money to actually do 
because they would have to have a 3ds specific localization team yes. that they would yes. have to spend money on and i think they had a certain budget and they were like well why don't we just port it over to the pc yeah they, it, it really comes down to an either or situation i really think i still think that the this that steam was the smartest thing they could have done because this is their one chance to really get dragon quest to explode over here and if they don't take it who knows when they'll get another chance Arvis Jägermeier says, I really am surprised how many comments I see decrying the lack of the 3DS version, especially in light of the fact that the PS4 Steam version plays identically in its mechanics and has the same story. In light of a Switch version coming, it seems like it's literally just the appearance that is driving this disappointment. Is this reverse graphics whoredom? I'll admit the 3DS version does look cool. I like the kind of the cool 16-bit nostalgia aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm, not just, I'm not saying that I'm not disappointed it's not coming over. I just understand why it's not. Uh, this person, Dracmalius, seems to be the kind of audience that Square Enix is ti- uh, targeting. They said, I've never really gotten into Dragon Quest games, but admire them from a distance. I'm glad they decided to release a Steam version over the 3DS. It's the only way I would really realistically ever try it. But mm-hmm. it's a bummer that series fans don't get to choose between the portable or the full versions. So, uh, we also talked a little bit about the Alliance Alive which was a game that also some people in the comments uh, had some thoughts on. Of course, the Alliance Alive was the nostalgic throwback oh, to yeah. RPGs. Uh, in fact, uh, Metman Master had like a 12, a 10-part series in the comments. <laughs> yes, uh, thank you for your attentiveness there. About what they want from retro RPGs, which I thought was pretty amazing, actually. But Johnny Boy 407 says, I'll start by saying I really liked Legend of Legacy, I'm surprised they he- to hear they were trying to recapture the nostalgia of 90s RPGs. What they ended up with was an intriguing game that was in many ways antithetical to the pillars of RPGs. And talked a little bit about the unpredictable character progression system. But they feel that Furyu, the, uh, the developer, Furyu, is perhaps that's the name, lost their nerve. They've readopted the familiar RPG tropes and piled more systems on. They're trying to be more crowd-pleasing. This game has so little resistance or ideas or vision that there won't be anything to remember it by. I'll always oh. remember Legend of Legacy because that game had vision. I'll remember Alliance Alive as Legends of Legacy's toothless follow-up. Ooh. Ouch. Gamer Law likes Alliance Alive a lot better. Uh, they say, while only seven or eight hours in, I'm finding the Alliance Alive to be a vastly better game than many outlets have suggested. The story not, may not be genre-defining, but it's well-developed and far more interesting than certain big-budget titles of the recent years cough cough final fantasy 15 combat <laughs> is where alliance alive really shines comparisons to games like saga frontier and romancing saga are both welcome and appropriate traditional leveling up has been replaced with a system that upgrades skills as they are used in battle alliance alive ranked among my most anticipated releases of 2018 and is not disappointed nostalgia may be a powerful force but the game has more going for it than fond memories of years past with a little luck we will soon see jeremy authoring a piece that highlights the game's strengths similar to what he did for Legend of Legacy. Okay. I just want to say uh, my friend is playing Final Fantasy XV for the first time because of the Windows release, and she has been like just weeping over the story. Not because it's bad, because she's just like so so touched by it and the characters. Aww. Yeah. Aww. And finally, Donkey in the Forest says, Do other people not consider Fire Emblem to be a Japanese version of XCOM? Also, I'm looking forward to Battletech. You're all about PC now, lol. And since the player controls the <laughs> development of their mechs throughout the game, it's an RPG. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about Battletech. That looks pretty cool. 
and Fire Emblem is nothing like XCOM, frankly. Yeah, um, I haven't played very much XCOM, but I wouldn't say it's quite the same, no. No, absolutely not, because Fire Emblem is almost a little bit of a a dungeon crawler. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's so focused on recruiting the characters and, um, I suppose, grinding them up. And you could say that's kind of similar with XCOM, but... I think of XCOM as more of an environmental game. Yeah, There's a yeah. strong base-building component. The original XCOM, you know, forgive me if you're get, forgetting into it, the original XCOM was pretty neat in that it had a strategy layer and a tactical layer. And the strategy layer was you're out and you are trying to build these bases and you're intercepting alien ships and that kind of thing. Whereas uh, Fire Emblem is point by point it's a very linear kind of style mm-hmm. of an rpg i mean which is fine yeah no i mean they just they scratch different niches i think also xcom doesn't have any waifus yeah that's a big thing right there uh i would say even just in general fire emblem is a lot more character driven than xcom though in xcom 2 you can get two of your characters together and they can start to develop a love interest and if they are bonded together for long enough uh they will be very strong together and have like tons of different abilities however if one of them dies the other will go crazy yeah i remember mike was playing XCOM, and he named uh, some of his characters after us and so like one of us went crazy i can't remember who it was but (laughs) so you do have a little bit of that character element going on that's the key difference i think between XCOM and fire emblem you have these bespoke characters in fire emblem and XCOM is all about creating stories for your characters right exactly all right, and with that, Axe of Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Please leave us a review if you're enjoying the podcast. We always hear it. Listen, enjoy hearing from you. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore Kappa. You can find Nadia on Twitter at, at Nadia Oxford. And make sure to follow US, all of U.S. Gamer's social channels. We'll be back next week, as usual, to talk more about RPGs. Maybe we'll even finish that one game that we were playing. I, I don't remember. What, what was it? Nino Kuni 2? No, it was actually Cosmic, Cosmic Star, Star Heroin. Because yeah, I would really like to get into another... I would love to get into another RPG report. Yeah, and uh, Cosmic Star Heroin, frankly, is a little more interesting than Nino Kuni 2, just saying. Ooh, burn. Okay. Burn. For Nani and myself, thanks for listening. Until next time, happy adventuring. <laughs>